Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. gentlemen. How are you all doing today? I am hoping that you are well. I'm hoping that you've enjoyed the last few guests we've had on the podcast. They have been very informative and entertaining and fun. So if you haven't listened to Dr. Joe Martin, you don't want to miss that. So go back and listen to that podcast. Now today we have a faster as a guest on the show. And as you know, I geek out every time we have somebody in the ministry on the podcast. And that's because that is my own background, being in the ministry. Now, if you are new here, you may not know that I was a missionary church planter for 13 years. So I enjoy talking about these kind of topics with its joys and its accomplishments and even the epic failures. And... (laughs) Anybody will tell you that ministry work is exhausting at its best in any way you can imagine. But our guest today does not shy away from the challenges that come with being a pastor of many churches and even seems to embrace the difficulties to the bitter end. (laughs) So my guest today is Pastor Al Deschanel, a multi-abuse survivor. He is going to share his raw and honest story of pastoring in Canada, transitioning out of the pastorate after being asked to leave, and his exciting, unique gamer ministry that he started this year. We talk a lot about spiritual abuse on this show, and today will be no exception. And this is part of his bio. I grew up in a Christian home, have known Jesus since I was six years old, After a time of teenage rebellion, God led me to a North American Bible College, now Taylor College and Seminary, in Edmonton, Canada, to figure things out. There, I rededicated my life to Jesus, met my wife, Anita, and was called into full-time ministry. Since then, I've been serving Jesus in all areas of church life. Tech, sound, graphic design, photography, video editing, small group leader, writer, musician, and of course, preaching and teaching. Whatever it takes to share Jesus and teach scripture in a creative and inspiring way. I've been married to Anita since 97 and have four children. Some of my other interests include 3D printing, dice making, writing, podcasting, photography, watching cartoons, and movies with explosions. I love movies with explosions, too. He's a very interesting guy, and I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation I had with him today. So here is my conversation with none other than the Christian ninja, Pastor Al Deschanel. Hey, please welcome Pastor Al Deschanel to the show. Hello, how are you? 
I'm great. I appreciate you taking out the time to come on the podcast since I know you're super busy right now with your own oh, podcast bonkers. and your gamer ministry and being a husband and a father. And I'll tell you what, it's uh, it is a really busy period, period of time for my life, but it's still neat how God brings people together like that are interested in things like this. Like I, I, I don't know how we ever would have gotten together without the internet and, and yet here we are sitting together hundreds of miles away from each other, able to chat about, you know, God, the church and the important things. So it's, it's the, regardless of how busy I am, I still think it's fascinating that we're sitting here right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. The internet is, has its good and it's bad points, but that's the funnest part about being on a podcast is that I'm meeting all these cool people. And uh, it's so fun to have somebody in uh, full-time ministry on. We we have a lot in common, actually. And hmm. so I told you I listen to your podcast, and I, I can relate to so many things that you mention, your past experiences with uh, churches. I told you before I was, I was a church planner hmm. for 13 years, and we're pretty much the same in, in doctrinal views. I think I, I really like one of your most recent episodes. You you made some um, Bible corrections or, or Bible assumptions that, that I was like, right on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I knew the answers to those. That's good. Good for you. I, I, it's, I, was, I tried to find as many as I possibly could for that little blast in the middle where I was just coming up with as many pa- as I possibly could. And I'm like, I want to hit somebody. I want to hit everybody out there. I want everyone listening to go, wait a minute. I thought that one. Oh, dang. You know, and then go look into it. But uh Apparently, I missed you. That's too bad. I'll have to. I'll have to make a longer list next time. Yeah, I recently learned from another pastor that has gone to Egypt. He's like an archaeologist expert, and he said that the Hebrews did not build the pyramids. They they existed long before Moses came along. And I was I always thought, okay, that the Hebrews built the pyramids. You know, you watch the Ten Commandments, and everything you know about uh, Moses, you think was in the Ten Commandments movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they built Pharaoh cities, but um, yeah, I love Charlton Heston. I love uh, Yul Brenner. It's it's very. I'm not, Cecil, I'm not sure Cecil B. DeMille was much of a theologian. <laughs> no, no, he probably didn't fact check very much. Yeah. But it's it's still it's still very fun to watch every year when it used to come on the TV. I've gotten in trouble more than once in church saying that there weren't three wise men at the nativity scene. (laughs) I I was arranging the figurines on the church nativity scene and making people mad, like, what are you doing? And somebody in the church told my now ex-husband, you need to control your wife. Why? (laughs) Because I wanted to be biblically accurate, right? So it's a little bit, you know, passionate. Hold on. on. (laughs) Where did you put the three wise men? I put them like way on the other side of the room. <laughs> yeah, you got to put them all the way over there. And you're like, okay, with these little tiny legs, it's going to take them two years to get there. So yeah, we got to put them, I'm pretty sure, about three blocks away. Yeah, so I didn't make very good friends in some of my uh, churches. I'm, you know, I try and pick my battles now, right? You know, nobody's going to go to hell because they believe the three wise men were in the manger. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway. Definitely not. Definitely not. I already warned the, the listeners that we were going to get a little Bible geeky today. So, well, I don't know. I, it's <laughs> like I said, I'm tired. So if you don't run over me too hard, oh, I won't. I won't. I, I've really been enjoying your your Pilgrim's Progress um, series you've been going through. I've never read that book, and I'm a voracious reader. 
I always loved Christian books. I'm a huge Narnia person. Mm-hmm. Never got into Lord of the Rings. My husband made me watch the extended director's cut of Lord That's of the, the Rings. That's the only way you're in, allowed to watch it. In one weekend. And so... Um, <laughs> it, legally. You're, you're, not, you're not legally allowed to watch it the, it with, in the, uh, the theatrical version. I mean, I understand why people are, people like it, but I was like, okay, when is Schmeagel going to die? And oh my goodness, another battle scene that's way too long. And I said that, that didn't really help. You, you misunderstood <laughs> the term epic then. <laughs> it's like super epic. You know? So uh, maybe I'll, I'll read the book someday. One of the most important books, uh, I think, in my life and certainly the one I keep coming back to, you know, you know, you have those moments where you're li- at night and you're lying in bed and you've got 12 books on your, on your bedside table, but you're like, I don't like any of them anymore. I want to, I want to pick up a different one. I always lean towards Pilgrim's Progress. If I'm going to read something, it'll, it'll be, I'll, I'll always lead toward either that or 1984, but usually Pilgrim's Progress because uh, it, no matter what chapter you're in, what section you're in, there's going to be a part of it that hits where you're at. You know, we talk about how scripture does that, where it's a living document, but because the way Bunyan wrote it was as this analogy for the Christian walk, it, there's some part of it that is going to hit you where you're walking right now, whether it's the hill of difficulty or that's the, you know, the, the pasture on the by side or whether or not you've wandered into Doubting Castle or whatever it is, all of a sudden you'll be reading it and be like, holy moly, like, how did he know 400 and whatever years ago? to write exactly what I'm going through right now. And I I think it brings a lot of hope to people to be able to say, it's not just me. This is actually a natural part of the, of the journey of a Christian is that it, sometimes it is hard. Sometimes you do doubt. Sometimes you realize that I have really gotten myself in trouble here. Sometimes you're surrounded by, you know, the town of vanity and you wonder why the entire planet looks so weird. Why is everybody's priority so screwed up? Mm -hmm. And you realize, well, that's, that's part of the process. Part of the realization that this world is not our, not, this isn't it. This isn't the real world. It's something, this is a, a warped version. And that is what you're feeling, right? And I think that's why I keep coming back to it because it has such a, a power for drawing out of me anyway, a, uh, a new realization of, of what my faith is like and what the world's like and my perception of it. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of it. You know, I was really drawn I to I'm not sure you'll live that long. <laughs> Honestly, well, I do have the book myself now, so I can I'm going read ahead. word by word. Honestly, it's terrible. I like I I surprise myself as I'm writing. I'm like, okay, and now I'm done writing this. Okay, I got the one paragraph into this chapter. All right, I guess we'll just stop now. The all right, so it's going to be a little while. Well, it's a, you know bite-sized little tidbits that you know I'm not overwhelmed or hit over the head with it. So I think I think it's I think it's great. Well, I'm uh, an expositor at heart, right? Like I like I've been a mm-hmm. a preacher for a long time, and so the the idea of grabbing a tiny little piece, a little a, a morsel, and just really chew 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 chewing mm-hmm. on it, or or grabbing you know what you, you like a. a a precious jewel out of the scripture or, or out of a book and really like an analyzing the multifaceted nature of what that is and all the refraction within it, because it, especially in, in the Bible, you suddenly, it op- it, it's like an opposite onion the, the more layers you peel away, the more layers there are. And you realize this verse that I thought was about, you know, one thing touches every book of the Bible, touches every, you know, uh, future past, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's such a, a key to understanding 
life, the universe and everything. And I didn't know that when I was first studying, but you mind, 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 mind. And I, so I love doing it. And so I think that part of it is because I did that so long with scriptures that I start doing it with pretty much everything. Right. Mm, Plus absolutely. because I'm a student of uh, RC Sproul, like I'm mm -hmm. a big, I'm a, I was a big RC Sproul fan. He was a philosopher at heart. Like he was a great theologian, but he was trained in philosophy. And you always know you're talking to a philosopher whenever the first question they ask is, okay, how do you define that? Right? Because if you're talking about something and you're talking to a philosopher, they will force you to define your terms so we are all on the same level. And if you're a student of philosophy and you're a student of R.C. Sproul and you've learned to define your terms and you're an expositional preacher who spends his time looking through the, the, the minutia, you're going to spend a lot of time thinking about the little bits and that's just where i'm stuck at which is great because it's my podcast when i can go as yes you know slow as i want it's it's not like i have to wait i mean there are people in church that would would lose their mind if i did a you know 400 week study of philippians but sign me up brother <laughs> <laughs> i told you i'm a bible geek so i i was really intrigued by your title of your podcast or the Christian Ninja. I'm I'm a martial artist, so I was like, "Cool, let's let's see what this is about." You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> it wasn't about martial arts, but <laughs> but I nope. know uh, I really like I like the title. <laughs> I had that problem with my other podcast, which was called Carnivore Theology, which is based on that passage in Hebrews, you know, from milk to meat, right? With the the, and I had people come up to me and wondering if it was a cooking show or not. That's awesome. Oh, well, I guess we should transition into your story, huh? Um, sure. Let's start with your, your upbringing. So tell the folks where you were born and your experience growing up in a Christian home, how you got saved and all that. It's a it's a pretty quick story. I mean, the my dad got saved when I was six years old. He, uh, the, he was reading the Bible, started talking to some people at work, and they were talking to him about... Uh, the scriptures. One guy in particular was saying, you know, like it's when you read the Bible, it's the word of God, it's truth. And so when he went looking for a church, he went looking for a church that believed that, you know, that it wasn't a metaphor. It wasn't, you know, just full of analogies. It wasn't just, you know, a bunch of moralistic rules. Who's reading it as the word of God? And so we bounced all over uh, for a little bit. And then we landed in the Baptist church in, in town. I grew up in a little town on the foothills uh, of Alberta where there is uh, no, there's only one kind of tree, a little sidetrack. One of the weird things about living in Ottawa for me is seasons because I didn't have them where I was. There was winter mm -hmm. and there was not winter. The, uh, there are leaves out here. I hadn't seen leaves before. You know, you know those commercials where you see a car driving down uh, like a beautiful hill and behind it, the leaves are rustling and flowing out the back of it. Right. I did. I thought that was fake when I was growing up. I did. When I was growing up, I thought, well, they, they put these things on the ground so, you know, that people can drive over them. It wasn't until I moved out East that I actually found that leaves really exist and they do fall. So that's kind of where I grew up. It was a logging town. It was a mining town. Uh, and it was very, uh, trades oriented. And so the idea of, uh, of God of morality and things like that was difficult because you were talking high divorce rate high you know addiction rate lots of alcohol more there's no you know we didn't have a theater but we had like five bars kind of thing right, right. and so my dad gets saved when i'm six 
I we start going to church. I immediately are am kind of involved. He he grows you know up in the ranks. He starts becomes you know Sunday school superintendent and elder and things like that. And I'm meanwhile I'm serving everywhere because you know once you're the son of the the elder, you're automatically drafted into whatever he's doing. And so that, it just became natural. My my church family was very uh, was like my second family growing up because when I was in school. I was nonstop bullied. The place that I was able to to know that I was safe and was was at church. So, age twelve, uh, I go to a, a Ralph Bell. Is that his name? Billy Graham, kind of his little subordinate there. And then uh, I went to a crusade. Went forward, got baptized a couple months later, and was uh, uh, it didn't change anything because I'd already been saved before that. That was just sort of the official. Okay, I walked the aisle kind of thing, and. It became for me, as I was growing up, my identity was Christian. It, we didn't have a youth group because there weren't very many kids. I didn't have friends because I was picked on like crazy. So I spent a lot of time hanging out with the with the adults and, and with my parents and with my family and stuff. And so it ended up becoming uh, a very adult type relationship with the church is, you know, service oriented and working with uh, uh singing and, and trying to figure out ministries and until the, until I was older as a teen and the, and the kids started coming again, and then all of a sudden you're living in Sunday school. So that was my life. I love church. I love growing up that way. Uh, the, the, everything on the outside of my family and church was absolutely miserable, but yeah. I love my church. You went to like what three different schools and you were, you were bullied really poorly. And well, to talk about that, I mean, that's the thing. Like when I was growing up, we moved a bunch. Uh, we moved it within the same town. We just, and the way that the town I grew up in is is designed, there's a, a hill portion and a valley portion. And there's about a, uh, I don't know, a couple mile stretch in between the two. Same town, but you got to drive a big long way to get to the hill part. So we just went hill, valley, hill, valley, hill, valley. And in the meantime, I'm bopping around school. So grade one, I'm in a different school than grade two and three. Then I'm in this different school for grade four and five, different school up till, you know, grade seven. Then everybody goes to the same high school. And so by the time I got to high school, everyone knew who I was, but they also knew me as the new kid that was picked on all the time. I was also mm -hmm. a kid that uh, was Christian, obviously Christian. And therefore I didn't, you know, fall into much of the bad. I didn't do any of the bad stuff that they'd done. I didn't have a, a peer group because I didn't have... I didn't fit with their groups and I didn't have a youth group. So I didn't have a peer group. So it was kind of a loner. And because of that, I just ended up getting, because I was an outsider, because I was an easy target, because I was small, I, I actually skipped grade one. And so I was the youngest kid in, and the smallest kid in my classes because I was just ahead or behind them. I don't know how you want to put that. And so I ended up being smaller and the only compensation I had was to get lippy. Right. So the only, the only, I couldn't, I couldn't fight anybody. I couldn't argue. And you know, God doesn't want, I didn't think God wanted me to go and, and try to, you know, fight for myself, but I could cut people to the quick with a word because I was pretty smart. You know, I knew how to, how to, and so I'd get myself in trouble by <laughs> opening my mouth sometimes. And then it just, it became uh, uh, sort of a game for folks to, to beat me up and pick on me and throw rocks at me and, and be and just be horrible, generally horrible. And that was my my existence until I left uh, left high school. I graduated when I was seventeen, moved out and went to uh, college in Calgary at age seventeen. And I was uh, you know I was alone, didn't have 
I had one friend in town and I was utterly just uh, so sick of people. I just stayed in my room. And you paid extra not to have a roommate? When I was when I when I went to when I went to Bible college, uh, which was the next year, I paid extra to make sure that nobody would be would be in my room, because that way, because uh, I because you can't trust people. People are mean. They're, even if they're nice to you, they're going to betray you in the end. Even if they say they're not going to betray you in the end, they're still going to do that. Their uh, their words are lies. Their heart is bent away. They nobody. And so, like I'm I'm just seething little monster of of. Uh, bitterness and anger and sadness and betrayal and and couldn't didn't want anyone around me i, uh, I can get that yeah i was bullied too and and i would have paid money not to have roommate yeah you are a, an angry kid and when did you get a, a breakthrough to that whole mess i'd failed flunked out of the first school so when i went to calgary i flunked out of the school and that was the one thing i knew i was going to do with my life it was going to be computers you know, me alone by myself, next Bill Gates, here we go. And <laughs> when I went to, uh, when I went to school, I hated it. I hated programming. I hated accounting. I hated all the boring stuff they made me do. You know, the five classes I actually attended, uh, I despised. And so I flunked out of the one thing that I thought I was going to do. And so my dad goes, okay, you got to go to, you got to do something. The only way you're going to be able to work at the mill is if you're registered at some school. So why don't you go to the Bible school that our pastor went to for lack of a better option, just do that. Okay. So I signed up for that, sat in, uh, went in that September, paid the extra to have no, nobody in their room and sat there angry. I went to school angry. I walked around angry. I tried my best to tell everybody to get lost with every piece of, you know, I guess passive aggression I could have, because remember, I'm still a Christian at this point. So mm -hmm. I know you're not supposed to tell people off and I know I'm not supposed to be mad at everybody. So I, and I know how to put on the face and I know how to pretend and I know how to, to act when we're in chapel and I know how to, uh, you know, laugh along with whoever, because you create as a, a Christian kid and P anybody who's a PK will, will know this, you kind of inherit this reflex of knowing how to be around people so that they'll accept you and not ask too many questions about what's going on. But when you're alone, that's when things start going crazy. So the problem was when I was in school, uh, in, in this dorm that I'd paid extra for not ha to have not people around, not have people around, there was a bunch of people around still. There were, there were people on the same floor as me. And in a Bible school, they make you do Bible studies together, like per week, and they make you hang out together. And it's like a, it's like a required thing. Mm -hmm. So I kept trying to tell these guys to get lost with every Christian fiber of my being while being as nice as I could, offending them and dropping them and doing whatever I, I, I could uh, in the nicest way possible. And they wouldn't leave me alone. They kept coming back. They kept inviting me to stuff. They kept coming into my room. They kept asking how I was. They kept showing interest in my life. And it was getting more and more annoying until finally we had this prayer meeting where uh, I'd kind of run out of excuses to be mad. And it, I had this cathartic event where I started, I was sitting in, I remember it vividly, sitting in that prayer meeting with the RN there. He's doing his own, you know, like whatever. I don't remember the Bible study, but he was doing one. And I'm sitting there and I'm starting to get mad and matter and matter. And I start turning red and I start to shake. And suddenly he kind of looks over at me and he's like, you all right, Al? And I... And I think for the first time in a very long time, I said, no, I'm not. And so they said, well, can we pray for you? 
And so they put me on, on the bed. Uh, everybody kind of gathered around and I started to get, I've never been and have not since and not before as angry as I was at, in that moment, I wanted to fight. I wanted to bite. I wanted to scream and I wanted to run. And I had the hands of maybe 10 guys holding me down on, on that bed, praying over me. And I started getting, uh, like shaking, sweating, absolutely freaking out until, uh, maybe, I don't know. It felt like a thousand years, but however many people had prayed and suddenly it, there was a peace that came over me that the anger broke. It snapped. It's like I, I buried the needle and there was nothing left in the tank. And then as they were done praying for me, I kind of woke up out of this, whatever it was, said, thank you, stumbled into my room and had this moment with God where I just said, I'm so sick and tired of being sad and angry and hating people and thinking everyone's going to hurt me. And, and these guys, they're not like that. And I hate pushing that on them. Yeah. And, I, and God just kind of showed up and he's like, all right, <laughs> if that's, the, if that's how we're going to roll and you're finally ready to listen, cool. Here's what I need you to do. And I felt him distinctly say, get rid of all the angry crap in your life. And cause I was the like emo before there was emo, like uh, Christian version anyway. So I had you know, all the angry music and the, and the angry videos and the angry video game and that, you know, just everything to be, to, to just fuel that everybody hates me. Society's the mm. worst nonsense, you know? And I, so I went, I just destroyed, I destroyed like 150 CDs. I wiped out all kinds of crap from my shelves and I just just I got rid of it I wasn't going to sell it because I didn't want anybody else to like to have what I had to to, to enable you know, be like, somebody it'd be else. like giving drugs to somebody because you're done doing drugs right yeah and so I uh after I'd done that all of a sudden it's like God had I'd given God permission to to start healing me and to allowing me to have relationships with people that were not just surface, not pretend I was didn't have to fake. I could be honest with them where I wasn't mad and assuming they were going to hurt me. And it was within months. I mean, like with, uh, within weeks, maybe even days, I was like, I was in a band uh, because they, no one ever asked me if I'd played an instrument before. And I had, I, I knew how to play music, but now suddenly it came up. I was, uh, singing in a choir i was i met a girl i had a uh, uh i had suddenly i had a friend we were going out and like doing things together like it it all happened so fast once i finally god broke that anger in me and i was willing to let him heal and do mm -hmm. whatever he wanted with me and then start trusting allow myself to start trusting some of the guys that were, were around me yeah, it's, that is extraordinary that it, it happens so quickly. Do you think it's so fast? I mean, when when you tell your story, and and I didn't want to interrupt your your tender moment there, but I I could I could picture the Incredible Hulk and your eyes your eyes turning colors and your clothes ripping and you wanted you know to just you know rah! <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, Except for it, you got to picture me being like a hundred pounds and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, scrawny, super dark, you know, hair and extremely sleepy eyes. So other than, other than that, definitely. Yeah. 
<laughs> so what happened after that? Uh, well, God, I, I started doing my devos for real, you know, like, cause there's, there's reading the Bible and praying because you're a Christian and that's what you're supposed to do and reading the Bible and praying because you expect God to talk to you and the Bible is living and active and changing your life. Mm -hmm. uh, they look the same on the outside, but they're very different. And so yes. suddenly God starts getting a hold of my heart. I start actually listening. I start seeing the Bible in a different way. And he says two words, stay here. That's all I got. That's it's all I could, all I could handle. Stay here. And so I went and I signed up for the longest course that they had. I said, I want the four year degree program, please. Because that'll let me stay here for <laughs> as long as I can stay here. That was my thinking. And so I went and signed up for a bachelor of religion and I didn't know why, except for that's where I was supposed to be. And that's where all, you know, now I'm married and now I've got, uh, people in my, I had, I had picture. Okay. So you, you get a little bit of my story now. You kind of can picture me in my room by myself. You kind of know how I grew up and you can kind of picture what I was like in high school. Now picture about nine months after this cathartic event. I've got 31 college students in my house. I'm standing next to my wife. We're fixing snacks and it's X-Files Simpsons night <laughs> every week at my house. I've constantly got friends coming and going. I'm in a touring band where I'm able to go around Alberta playing music and having the best time building relationships that are lasting a lifetime because God changed things. Not because I changed anything, because God changed things. That's what my life was like after that. Those were great four years. Uh, I still didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Still had no future plans. All I knew is the present plan was stay here. Yeah. I and mean, we have a lot of listeners that, okay, they, we've got some that have been raised in the church like you. And then we have some that were raised in, without any religion at all, or they were mm -hmm. totally turned off to religion because of the abusive environment they were in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, I like you pointing out the difference between being a Christian on the outside, which is the fundamental Baptist background that I came from. I wasn't born into that, but that was very important, is that you looked a certain way and mm -hmm. outward conformity was very mm -hmm. important. But that doesn't mean there's inward generation going on. No, certainly not. No, you're absolutely right. And part of the, the danger of that external expression of faith that you learn to practice is that it becomes such a reflex that even after, and I, I, you know, I think anybody who's had this experience where you've, you've been that fake Christian, you, you know, that is it becomes a reflex. And so even when you're trying to change your heart, even when God gets a hold of your heart, you go to a prayer meeting and you feel that reflex come over. Oh, I know how to do this. And you start saying, and you're like, wait a minute, I'm pretending right now pretending you know that they'll start asking bible questions you'll be like oh i know the answer to that but they didn't ask you what the answer was they asked you how it hit your heart what does it mean to you and suddenly you're like oh wait a minute they didn't want the jesus jesus answer they wanted an actual answer to what's happening in my heart you know the like the old sunday school joke you know uh johnny's in sunday school and and the teacher says so class i am thinking of something it's small it's furry it's brown it's got a bushy tail it's got tiny little hands and it likes nuts and johnny raises his hand he says teacher i know this is sunday school so the answer is jesus but boy that sure sounds like a squirrel 
I haven't, and, had, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> and, and you kind of learn that. That's what I'm saying. It becomes a reflex, right? This, uh, this, this facade. And it takes a little while to break down. And it did for me. And, I, and I'm sure there's people out there that have felt that too. And uh, I'd like you to circle back when you were mentioning about the, the stuff you were listening to, the, you're smashing pumpkins and your, you know, your video games and stuff. And there's a lot of ideas about, well, those things are evil and you, you can't be worldly. And tell us the difference between, okay, these are really hurting my walk with God. And okay, it's all right. It's all right to watch something fun like The Simpsons and not take it so seriously. Can you touch a little bit on that? Sure. I let me use a weird illustration to kind of to kind of frame it. So there's a lot of men out there who will complain that they have a problem with lust, right? That and for them, they struggle with porn or they struggle with uh, walking down the road and seeing a pretty girl, and they just they you know like lust is a problem. So they will externalize the issue and they will say, if women didn't dress like that. If yoga pants didn't exist, if I didn't live in this really sunny environment where the girls all were always, you know, so tanned, then I would be so much better. It's the girl's fault, right? That I think in the same way with music, because the issue is lust. It's on the inside. It's the heart. You know, that's what Jesus says. It's out of the heart, right? And so I think in the same way with music, it's got that, uh, it has that same effect where it, is, it, it by itself is powerful. The art itself has a, an inherent power to it. Uh, whether it's a, uh, and I mean, I mean, good art, like decent music written by s someone who is skilled at it. I don't mean mm -hmm. production garbage or, or purposefully angsty, you know, crap. I mean, actual like art that's even non-Christian, mm -hmm. uh, non-Christian artists. I think if you come to it with maturity, openness, a sense of, of uh, willingness to listen, uh, an, ex an exploration of your emotions, a desire to see God in it. I, th I think you have, I think there is value to it. Mm -hmm. I think if inside of you, you have a desire to feed your sin, to feed your negativity, to, to uh, find an excuse to feel bad, to find an excuse to feel angry, to find an excuse to feel lustful, uh, and, and you know that that song, that TV show, that website, that whatever is, you know, it's going to trigger that it'll give you that push into sin. It'll give you that push towards now I'm angry. Uh, now I know I can, you know, I, I can go do this because now I can let my emotions take over. And then when I come back, uh, I can say, well, it was because I, it, you know, because of that song, I think you bring with that, bring that stuff with you. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, like right now, I'm a, you know, I've been a Christian for a really long time. I've, I've been, I've worked through a lot of issues. I'm beyond that. So can I sit there and can I listen to uh, a Smashing Pumpkins song? Sure. Is it going to drive me into an angsty depression where I want to go jump off a bridge or, or slip my wrists or, you know, like, no, it's not because to now I bring a completely different person to the mix. Uh, but back when I was steeped in it, it was... I used it as fuel, mm -hmm. fuel for my anger and fuel for my sadness, fuel for my, uh, my fear and my, my rejection of society and, my, and to, to affirm in me all the bad thoughts that I had because that's what they were singing. And therefore, that was me, not the song. So I think, I think there are, we, we can bring a lot to it. And so it, I would say this, let me, let me throw a little bit of pastoral caveat in there. Uh, <laughs> You, there's going to be people out there who think that they are, 
they're inherently strong enough that the reason they're listening to what they're listening to, they're strong enough. They just quote unquote like it. And then you can't get away from the fact that it will have an effect music by itself or that TV show or that book or that website or that YouTuber, they, they will have an effect on you. The question is, are you mature enough? Are you strong enough? Are you able enough? Are you holy enough? Are you connected with God enough to, to fight that temptation, to, to resist the devil? Or is that going to suck you into someplace you don't want to be? Because remember when, when the Bible says, you know, uh, in Galatians 6, 1, maybe where it talks about how it is the, if you see someone going off the rails, if you see someone falling into sin, you who are spiritual, is what it says, right. go get them, right? And the yeah. idea there is you're walking into a land of danger. You're stepping into a place where you're going to get yourself in trouble. You you know that it's you're into a, you're walking into a war zone. So if you already are weak and you're already tempted and you already know that you've got this problem, don't go. There are people who are stronger at this. They are people who are more spiritual than you that can handle that that war zone. Let them go. Those should be the ones who go. And in the same way, I think that we can fool ourselves into believing we're a lot more spiritual and strong than we are when in fact, we're just using that, that whatever piece of media as an excuse to sin. Yeah. But at the same time, it in itself is not powerful. We, we, and you talk about the fundamental Baptist. I'm, I'm a Baptist. I'm, you know, old school. Mm -hmm. And so like, I grew up in the, in the church where they, you know, like there were people who couldn't play cards, didn't play cards because right. cards are evil. Dice are evil. Dominoes are evil. Pokemon cards are evil. Dungeons right. and Dragons are evil. Everything's evil. Right. <laughs> uh, and you, uh, you give, they give such power to these simple things that they become scared of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that fear is an unholy, ungodly fear. And really that's not right either. Things. There's, mm -hmm. there's no, it's, it, it has the power that you give it. Right. Right. Very well said. My ex, um, he had a collection of Earth, Wind, and Fire and Chicago and, you know, really good music. I mean, in my mm. opinion, pastor that uh, was in charge of our college, um, he preached against Jesus Christ Superstar, which is a terrible movie, I know. But uh, <laughs> my ex went up to the pastor and said... Um, was trying to tell him the benefits of Jesus Christ Superstar. And I just wanted to crawl into a hole in the ground because you did not go up to the pastor and correct his sermon. <laughs> and so the, the pastor said to my now ex and said, you're, you're listening to secular music and watching secular movies, aren't you? And, and he said, yeah, I've got some Chicago and Earth, Wind and Fire and I have... Beatles or whatever. And so he made my ex put all of his his CDs, some of which were first editions worth a lot of money, and stuck them in a trash bag and walked him to the back of the church dumpster and threw all the music in the dumpster. Now, he felt led to do whatever the pastor told him to do, but I, I felt bad later on looking back that, you know, that music put him in a really good mood. And it, it is good music. I love I love Kansas. We're we're musicians too. We're we're prog heads. And Kansas came to town here when we went to to Kansas. We had front row tickets. We had backstage passes. And I'm telling you, the music was euphoric. It was it was like being high. And I've never been high. You know, Carrie Livgren is is the writer of most of Kansas, and and he um, he's a Christian. And a couple of the people in the band are Christians, but they don't technically write Christian music. Mm -hmm. We love Kansas and some of the other musicians like uh, Neil Moores and stuff because of 
it's really well written music and it's it's quality and but other Christians and people from my old life would say, well, you can't listen to that. That's that's sinful. That's that's it's, secular music. And it's interesting you, that you say that because it more and more, and I would love to sit and ask the question, why? You know, the person that says, oh, you're listening to, you know, insert classic rock band here. Why? Why is it evil? What do you think is evil? What is it doing? How is it evil? What verse are you quoting? Right. Like the, what, what you are speaking completely out of ignorance for one, because A, you don't know it and you don't listen to it. B, you're speaking completely out of out, extra biblical concepts because it, it, the, the idea that there's this, this music out there that will suck you into Satanville immediately right. because you, you know, that that's, you know, that's not there. Like sure, maybe maybe get a tattoo and suddenly you're going to hell. But the the <laughs> the music thing, honestly, and so like and and there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes around in the church. That's literal, actual superstition yeah. that is held up as uh, good advice. You know what I mean? And what's what's stupid about it? What's what drives me nuts about it? Because I've been alive long enough now. Yes. Is that these Baptist churches who had pooped on movie theaters and dances and all the, you know, the, the, the very, very non-threatening stuff that was happening 70 years ago. Now these same churches, they've realized they've come around they've gone, well, wouldn't it be nice to go back to when we had sock hops? Wouldn't it be nice to go back to when movies were rated, you know, when, when you couldn't have that stuff in movies, when TVs were, TV shows were all, you know, wouldn't it be nice to go back there? And it's like, no, you're asking for the thing that you pooped on nonstop yes. while it came out. Mm -hmm. So give me a break. Like you want leave it to beaver. Well, you petitioned against it. Right. You know, it's, it's, it frustrates me to no end, especially because you don't have a biblical leg to stand on. That's what gets me so angry. It's fine. You want to you want to take something away. You want to get upset about it. You want to look at your kid or your youth group or your this new Christian, and you want to rip that thing out of their hands and throw it in the garbage. You better have a real solid biblical argument for doing so, because Jesus was so very clear mm -hmm. uh, to the Pharisees and to the people that uh, that he was that he would that he would criticize about imposing their religion onto someone else that had nothing to do with scripture. Exactly. They, he hated that. He judged that hard. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I love about your listening to your podcast is you, you just cut through all the fluff and the, you know, the, the false stuff that's floating around there that really isn't biblical. So the world, I mean, gee, Paul says all things are permissible. All things are permissible. Not everything is profitable. Exactly. You know, the, that's pretty wide open. Peter, he's, you know, he's like, well, I don't know about these Gentile guys. They're kind of messed up and I don't, maybe I'll just, I'll just stay with my Jewish friends. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to have this reputation that I'm hanging out with the wrong crowd because, you know, I'm leader of the church. Paul comes over and yells at him for doing that. You can't just go stand with your Jewish neighbors. Get out there and go talk to some Gentiles for crying out loud. That's what Jesus wanted you to do. Amen. He yells at Peter for wanting to protect his reputation, right? <laughs> you cannot make a biblical argument for crapping all over someone else's expression of love for God and the way that God has built them, the, cre the creative being that they, they are, without having a solid biblical argument behind it. You can't. 
Amen. It's satanic. Wow, we're just having way too much fun on this episode. So I think we're going to make this into a two-parter. So we're going to get more into Pastor Al's story of his first sermons, dive more into his story when he was a pastor of a few different churches and what happened, what were his lessons, and some other really good tidbits. Um, we're also going to hear about his new ministry that's very unique and exciting. So please come back next week to hear about that. And as always, I'm reminding you that you are no longer a victim. You are victorious. God bless you. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.